testimony. My name is Dr. Iglesias, and we want to welcome you to Deep in Your Business. Hey, this is episode two. I'll be your host along with Alvaro Salim Noriega. What nice. else? Nice, nice. No, 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 nice. wait, wait. There was no, more not, to your I'm name. I'm not saying anything. Oyos. I'm not the Oyos. <laughs> the Oyos. The whole. And we also want to um welcome Mike Casanova. Can you say my middle name? Like fluff it up a little bit. Where's what? my where's my What's nickname? What's the middle name? What? You guys are hey, so popular. Latin, Latin, Latin people have like four names, you know, like <laughs> Maria Rosita de la Rosa. <laughs> the Ojo. Like, okay, Mike. What is your middle Cass name? Robert. Robert. Whoa, I didn't even know that, bro. Man, that's how you know Robbie Van Winkle. That's how he lost. <laughs> He was no longer Ice Ice Baby. Mike man. Robert Casanova. I didn't even know <laughs> there that, bro. You, go. you All see, right, we had to do a podcast for me to know his name, you know, his full name. Carlo so Robert I like now. that. So this is deep in your business, Alvaro, man. And listen, this time we're going to get in and get deep in your business, man. So I want to start with you, man, because you're just, you're deep. <laughs> and we want to go in deep. We want to pull some skeletons. And the reason why I want to do that, man, is because people just see your smile. And when they hear your story, they're going to be like, hold up. Is it possible that he's going through that? So enough said, man. I want you to just open up, dig in that closet, and start pulling skeletons, man. We're going to pick on you for a little while. We'll jump on, on Mike, or sorry, Robert, and then we'll come <laughs> back to me. You know, so we'll do a little bit each and, you know and encourage the listeners. Yeah. Well, in episode number one, we were going through life, you know, like storyline and yeah. uh, where we came from and all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we didn't get to today. So today's story in my story is uh, being a Christian, I never thought I would be in this situation. So uh, I met somebody that I used to tell her, I will never get married mm. and I will never have children. And this is being a Christian? Yep. Wow. Uh, so well, much for being fruitful and multiplying, but yeah. Well, no, no, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't really like being a Christian. Like I wasn't really, uh, I, I haven't given my life to God at that moment. Okay. But the reason why I used to say that was because I come from a broken home. Ah. So because it hurt so much when my dad left. Ah. So I didn't want anybody to go through that because of me. Got it. So I never wanted to be married and I never wanted to have kids mm. because I never wanted, you know, separation in the house or anything like that. So that was my story. My story is that I come from a broken home and it didn't hurt me until I was, uh, my parents split up when I was like 12 and I, and I kind of felt it when I was 19. At the time that I'm 19 uh, is when I, when I face life and I have to actually work uh, and pay bills. And I was about to come here to the U.S. So at the age of 19 is when I, when I realized, man, I worked the whole month and I had to pay these bills that I never paid. Uh, and I couldn't buy the, the stuff that I wanted to buy for myself. So what the hell? What was that? And it was so foreign to me. So I said, man, who teaches you this stuff? And, and that's when I realized, oh, a dad is who teaches you this stuff. So because my dad wasn't that present in my life from 12 to 19, that's when I understood, man, this is the role of a dad, you know, to teach you how to, do, how to have a bank account, how do you pay bills, what's the purpose of work, 
and all of these different things that we face, you know, when we grow up. So I developed this. In the beginning, it wasn't hate. It was like competition. With your dad? Yep. So how can you possibly compete well, with your dad? This was my competition. My competition was, hey, my dad was never there for me. So okay. I'm going to make it on my own and I'm going to have better stuff than he had. And I'm going to have it a lot quicker than he had. So my dad had like his first motorcycle. He bought it when he was probably like 30. And I remember that his first car, it was a used car. And he, it was probably like 35, 37. And um, I get here to the U.S. And I get a car within less than a year. Okay. What what was it? What model? What oh, it was a it was a piece of crap car. It was uh <laughs> we all we all need that. We call we it all, a Ronzoni. Well <laughs> Ronzoni when you push it. Well, yeah. like it, it <laughs> yeah. was it was a Cavalier, an 86, 86 Cavalier, and I got here on uh September ninety-nine. I got it. So it was a fourteen year old mm -hmm. car. Wow. And Good math. uh Good math. Well yeah. it was it was it was it was my first <laughs> car. So for me it was amazing. I get uh my own place. And I start progressing in my life and I start developing this issue with my dad. I'm like, oh, I'm better than my dad. Oh, I kick butt, you know, quicker than him. So I'm better than mm -hmm. him and I'm better than him. And I end up turning like him. Oh, wow. So I became um, a womanizer. Mm. I'm going out with all types of women. Mm. At the time, I'm a professional dancer uh, with artists and like working on TV. I was not a stripper. Mm. Just want to make that clear. Okay, <laughs> we got that. Check out the news. Because <laughs> you say dancer and everybody goes, oh, stripper. No, right. Nope. Right. Nope. Yeah. Professional. So yeah. I was I was being a professional dancer and I was uh, a fitness instructor as well. Yeah. And because of that, I have access to women like crazy. I didn't yeah. even need to have money. Uh, they all wanted me and it was just a business tra transaction, you got know? It. So I end up being like my dad. I end up going out with everybody and I'm a sex maniac. And all of a sudden I look back and I go, why did I become what I hated? Right. Like this makes no sense. Mm. But every time that I go out with, with women, I'm trying to find the right one. I'm trying to find the one. Got it. And, oh, you're not the one. Next. Oh, you're not the one. Next. Oh, you're not the one. Next. And then 50, 60, you know, and it's like, okay, what's going on? At the time that I'm with this girl, I've been friends with her for nine years. We have never touched. We have never kissed. We have never nothing. So it was professional relationship? Professional relationship and friendship. And friendship. Because okay. I was so crazy. I just wanted, you know, a friend. And she was a really good friend of mine. Got it. Uh, I had motorcycles. So I would invite her, you know, to jump on a motorcycle. We would hang out the whole night. But never, you know, sexual or anything like that. Got it. At one point, I end up going out with her. And I know that she's not like the other ones. She's, she's somebody that comes from a good family. She's a good person. I've known her, like, you know. So that's the person that I've been telling, hey, I, I will never get married. I will never have children when we were friends. When you guys were friends, did she see you with other women? Like, Oh, yeah. It was crazy. Like, every other weekend, like, she would see me with different <gasps> women. My goodness. So she would ask me, hey, what happened with the girl last week? And I'm like, oh, I got bored of her, you oh, know. Oh, my goodness. I just wanted another one. <laughs> wow. Hey, yeah. what happened with the other girl? I just wanted some vanilla in my life, you know. Now yeah. I want some chocolate. So wow. it was just like that. And uh, she knew me, and I knew her, but we were never, like, you know, involved mm. with one another. Got it. So I end up going out with her and 
I end up marrying her and I end up having my first kid with her. Okay. So those were my two biggest fears. Hmm. And then um I heard commitment, commitment, commitment. Well, yeah. And that's episode, locking in the deal. No more, no more vanilla, no more chocolate. <laughs> well, now it's strawberry, uh, you're done. I wasn't, I was tired of all those flavors and all that stuff. I, I just really you. wanted like um stability. Right. And I okay. wanted, I wanted love. You know, Got I didn't it. understand that what I was looking for was love. And yeah. I was just looking for love in sex. And it would it would always leave me empty. Oh, okay. So at the time that I'm with her, I end up living with her. You know, I'm, 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 we moved in. We're living together. And as I said in episode one, I had an encounter with God. And then God calls me out and he says, hey, you're in sin. I want to bless you, but you're in sin. And when that happens, he tells me, marry her. Mm, okay. So I go, okay. And marrying for me was just like, oh, we go to court. We sign a paper and we're good. And you don't bother me anymore because I did what you said. So I end up marrying her and I end up facing that first fear. And it's great for like two or three years. You know, it's like, great. We have a, we have a dog and then, you know, she was a dancer. I was a dancer, you know, I'm working, she's working. And, uh, God manifested really big in my life because I was a sex addict. I was, um, addicted to porn, addicted to sex, and I had all the outlets to do whatever I wanted. So as a dancer. It, yeah. Right. And and mostly as a fitness instructor, like you really, know, yeah, because yeah. I you would I, think on television you would get more well of the different flavors. So well, you're telling me as an instructor, huh? Like I would I would appear on TV, and then when I got to the gyms, they were like, "Oh, we saw you on TV," and then you know they wanted to go out more with me and stuff. Yeah. And because I had that pool of people there, I took advantage of it, and I went out with married woman, with like like young old. You mentioned I did it, so. Because I was so crazy with women, when I end up with her, with the one, I am like, man, what am I going to do with this background that I'm carrying? So I asked her, like, hey, what would be the, 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 the only thing that you would never forgive me for? And she's like, oh, if you cheat, if you cheat on me. And I'm like, oh, dude, I cheat for breakfast. Mm. Like, yeah. this is crazy. So we move in together. And a month later, we get the dog and she gets a world tour with an artist. So she has to go out for like three months. And I am saying, dude, how am I going to be loyal for three months when I cheat for breakfast? That you was know? the true test right there. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, why, mm. why did I bring this girl out of her house to live with me? So I tell her, hey, you get the job. You will never forgive me if you don't take the job at the time i had um i had traveled with artists and i've done it and she hasn't so she got this great opportunity and i tell her go for it and in a matter of two months god set me free from all my my addiction to sex and that's when you were all alone in those three months two months into the three months god did it that's amazing well through the dog you know i had the dog and I've never had a dog pray for me. So explain to me how the dog. Well, the dog, the dog did this. Every Friday, I checked on my phone and I had 60 to 70 numbers that I could choose from to go out with people. Uh, and I would always I it. do it. I like it's, it's Friday afternoon and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I cannot stay home. 
because I couldn't face loneliness. Got it. So every mm -hmm. time that I was going to be alone, I had to go out. I had to do something, whether I wanted or not. So the dog replaced it by you walking him and playing with him. But it wasn't just him. it wasn't just that. Like what the dog offered me was love, unconditional love. He so, was always happy, always ready. I would go to work, and then when I come back, I have to give him food, and he's waiting for me, you know, to love me. And then I go to work, I come back, and I have to take him out, and he's ready for me to love him. And then it's this love relationship where I am like, wow, like this is what I've been looking for. And it's crazy, you know, because it's through a dog. You know how mm. crazy it is, Mike, yeah. that God can use anything, but in your life, he used a dog to set you free. Man, God just has, it's just so, yeah, he's limitless. Wow. So mm. the dog is little, you know, he's like two months old. He needs total attention, total care from me. And that pretty much gives me happiness. So I'm occupied with the dog and work and I don't have to think about women. And then, you know, first month goes by and I'm in it. And then the second month goes by and I understood, oh, okay. Like, like this is what I'm looking for. This is really what I'm looking for. Uh, my girlfriend comes back from the trip. She's going to be... So she left for three months straight? Yes. I wow. think it was like two months, three months straight. And then she will come back for like 10 days. And then she had Got to it. go uh, back again. Okay. Wow. So when she comes back, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much changed, you know? Uh, now, it wasn't just like, hey, go to work and the dog. That was the main thing. But uh, yeah. on the side, I, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I am... I'm looking for God because I, I understand when, when, when I took her out of her house, I knew it was a big responsibility. It wasn't like, oh, if it doesn't work, go back to your, to right. your family. I knew that. <clears throat> and then uh, after that happens, I start encountering my past. So, you know, she comes back. We're together. We're great. I understand, man, this is what I wanted. I did the right, the, the right choice. So I get married. I have... Then I end up having three kids and it's been, um, you know, I've been married for 13 years. Uh, mm. All of those 13 years, I it was the same time when I gave my life to God. So kind of like a year after, yeah, like six months after I we got married. No, no, like three months after we moved into our second house. That's when I have the encounter with God. Okay. So out of the 13 years we've been married, uh, that's that's mostly the time that I've been walking with God. God. And um, it created, you know, a big, big, big change in me. And I think it created a lot of pressure on her because right. I changed quite a lot. Mm. And she didn't understand the whole God thing. I wasn't forcing it on her, you know. Uh, but when you're happy with something, you yeah. just... You know, you just share it and then that's what you talk about. So I end up in the point where right now I am going through divorce and I am separated from her, from my kids. And I just never thought I would be in this situation because with in my walk with God, I heard and I and I believed. Mm. Oh, if you take care of God's uh, of God things, uh, then God takes care of your things, and it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because God is not 
a genie in a lamp that uh, you ask for things and if he doesn't give it to you, then you just throw the lamp away. It doesn't work like that. And, um, you know, I end up being in this situation, which I never thought I would be. Um, the reasons why we're not together, I still don't understand them. Well, well, let me ask you, I mean, where do you feel your faults in the separation? Like, where do you, where was your fault in that leading to that separation? Well, I got caught up in the daily stuff. And then, you know, we've been separated for about five months. And then in this time, I had to go back and think because mm. I stopped thinking, feeling, and uh, expressing myself in mm. the relationship. Okay. Because at one point, everything becomes money, responsibilities, and uh, work. Yeah, and going it's through the motions, going through the motions of life. Yeah. It's just mm -hmm. a load. It's just a load that you have yeah. to carry. Yeah. So uh, if I express, hey, I'm tired, man, this is hard, man, help me. At the end of the day, it's like, yeah, whatever, just keep going. So I got used to that. And I just said, you know what? I'm just, I just have to carry this stuff. I'm just going to shut up and then just go. Mm. And when you do that, a lot of stuff start, starts piling up. It starts piling up, starts piling up. And uh, society trained men to say, don't cry. Uh, men don't cry. Uh, take it. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Own it. Yeah. Yeah. Assume it. Yeah. This and that. Yeah. And then when we're all messed up, it's like, oh, but you don't talk. Oh, but or you don't cry. Yeah. Oh, but you yeah. don't say yeah. anything. I'm yeah. like, dude, like that's what yeah. I've learned my whole life. Yeah. So You know what I'm hearing? <clears throat> I'm hearing you say, God, okay, so... I got married and I didn't want to get married. I had children. I didn't want to have children. I submitted to you, but I always wanted to do it on my own. I always did it better. So you started following the ways of God. And that brought division in your own house because you were serving God full heartedly, but your wife wasn't there. So it created, in a way, a friction. And another thing I noticed is that. While you were on fire for the things of God, you were probably in ministry. In other words, you were ministering to people and your wife was probably at home, like desiring to be with you. Mm. And that probably yeah. affected her. And it affects a lot of ministers. I can speak for myself. My wife is jealous of me. She wants my time. Like right now, my wife is out. She would love to be with me. And because I'm in ministry it affects, so it's difficult to balance. And it looks like you had a hard time trying to balance. Well, when I did the things that I did, I didn't do them like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. No, because that's why I was, I was, just, trying, I was just trying to explain my, my, my thought pattern in order to, to get to this conclusion. The conclusion is, when I did the things that I did, I was totally convinced that that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and when I got married, I got married because I wanted to. You know, like it wasn't like, oh, he told me to marry her, but I don't want to. But because he said it, no, like I really wanted to marry her. And it didn't happen overnight. When I had my first kid, I remember that she told me, oh, I'm pregnant. And as soon as she said I'm pregnant, I go back to when I was 18 years old. And I'm freaking out because when I was 18, I was having sex with my girlfriend and I was afraid to get her pregnant because 
me being 18, if I have somebody pregnant, it's like, oh, my life is over yeah, and I have to drive over, a yeah. taxi and I have to right. do whatever. Yeah. So I go back to that moment yeah. when she tells me I'm pregnant. The trigger, it was like a trigger. And I'm mm. 33, I think. And I'm thinking like, and she's freaking out because she's like, yo, I'm pregnant. And I take like four seconds thinking all this stuff and she's freaking out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what am I thinking? Like, I'm not 18. Like, so I, I, I hugged her and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. But it, but it, it, it shook me. Oh, it shakes you. It yeah. shook me big time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I remember hugging her and just saying, hey, it's okay. It's all good. Like, this is awesome. And then I looked up and I said, oh, you got me. Because the first one was, I'm not going to get married. And then the second one was, I'm not going to have kids. Mm. I remember I'm like, oh, you got me. Like you got me. Mm. And um, the process of my first kid was amazing. God showed up in my life tremendously. Let, but, let me ask you a but, question. But after that, after um, after the first kid came the second one. And then after the second one came the third one. And I was like, okay, like from zero to three, this is like a lot. So, yeah. so okay, I don't want to have more kids. She wanted to have like five kids. And I'm like, there's no way. So I had surgery and I cut the factory. I'm like, that's it. Three like is enough and, and, and we're Let me not ask going you. anywhere. So I think for at least for me, what I want to know, and I'm sure the listeners want to know is you mentioned divorce. So your wife served you with papers two weeks ago, more or less. The question is mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I think this is what deep in your business is. That's why I'm digging, man. What did you feel? What, do you, what are you feeling through this process? Is suicidal thoughts going through your mind, giving up going through your mind? Because it's not only your finances, I'm, I'm sorry, your, 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 your marriage, it's not only, you know, psychologically what you're going through, but your finances, you're living in this studio, man. That's yeah. serious. And, and I get it. It's beautiful. Everything you're saying, man, I love you, Alvaro. It's beautiful. The three kids and all that. But we want to get in deep. Listen, you're homeless right now. I'm just talking straight up. You're homeless right now. You're going through a divorce right now. The listeners and the viewers want to know, what are you feeling, man? Why are you, why do you still have a smile? What keeps, what keeps fueling you to continue to move, do the things of God, and you're still waiting and hoping that God's perfect will is going to be done. So that's what we want to know, man. Well, I don't know what God will is. All right. I know is but how that do you feel? What, I, what, what I, are your challenges with, with suicide? I don't, I don't know what I feel. You know, I pretty much don't know what I feel because there are so many things happening yeah. that I'm just overwhelmed, extremely overwhelmed, and I don't know what I feel. What I know is that the walk with God is not what everybody thinks because God is not only the good things, God is also the bad things because we as humans, we might see it as good or bad, but he doesn't see it like that. He just sees it as, hey, you have to go through this for X, Y, and Z. That X, Y, and Z, I don't know it. I don't know it. And uh, mm. pretty much, you know, it's a, it's a 13 year, 13 year buildup where I, where I was always going up. I never... I never went down. And then at 13 years, I just crashed all the way down into, I don't have a, I don't have a wife anymore. I don't have kids. I don't have a house. Uh, I don't have anything. I lost my job. And, um, and right now I'm like pretty much when I first came to this country, which is 
I have no idea what to do. Uh, I was, like I said before, I was a personal trainer for over 20 years. And then I worked for five years with this company, getting out of the fitness field. And then the company that I was working with, they fired me. And now I don't know what to do. I'm not connected with the fitness field anymore because I stopped doing it five years ago. The company that I was working with pretty much is not going anywhere right now. So I don't know what to do. I'm not an expert on anything. I don't have any network of anything right now. And uh, in, in that sense, I'm very disconnected. So when I came here, I was 19 years old. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any network. But today I'm 46 years old and I'm in the same situation. Yeah. So if I go back and I say, oh, but, you know, I'm a man of God and I serve and I do ministry and all of this. None of that secures you right. of yeah. being in this position. Yeah. I guess this, what I was trying to say, my direct question was, I know what it is to be divorced. I got divorced. After six years of being married, my ex-wife said, I can't do this anymore. Three kids, just like you. Three kids. She literally left. It destroyed me. My kids were my life. And to come home and not hear my three kids say, Daddy, and give me a hug. Listen, being a minister of the gospel, I would minister five days out of the week. All I would do is serve God. But you see, my ex-wife said, man, this God thing is, is real, but it, it's not for me. I felt broken. I had suicidal thoughts going through my mind. The attacks were constant, constant, because we can sound like superheroes as ministers. But listen, at the end of the day, we're flesh and blood. Things were running through my mind that you can't possibly imagine. My daughter, Ceci, that was my firstborn. She was born in 424-94. I looked into her eyes, and that's the first time I felt love. Fast forwarding, my daughter now... Well, not now, as of six months ago, she, she, she worked in a strip club for six years. As a father, as a minister of the gospel for 26 years, it destroys my heart in the physical. What runs through my mind is a dad wanting to go and, and grab his daughter and pull her out, but she's 29 years old. Fast forward, and I thank God that now we're going through our healing process no one knows this. I don't even know if my wife knows this. But in this show, I believe this is where we receive healing. My daughter, Ceci, that was my kryptonite. I mean, I tried to do a song for her, and I could never do a song for her because I would cry, cry. You don't understand what it is to look at a child and say, man, this is my first love. I wasn't saved at the time. During our divorce, yes, I was saved already. But to have that little girl torn away from my hands where I can only see her every two weeks, man, as a man, that destroyed me. Now, remember, it's not just Ceci. It's Dominic. My son Dominic doesn't speak to me, man. Yeah. Right now, we're talking about 2023 at this moment. My son, bro, does not talk to me. But I can look back now and say, man, I probably messed up. Because when me and his mm. uh, wife, uh, uh, my ex-wife divorced, I did a DNA test, man. 
He wanted a DNA test too. I didn't know if that was my son. You know what it is to go through these trials as a minister, man? So that's my point. But let me like, finish. Like, like, that's the last thing you would ever imagine, man. Like I was I was pissed off. I was angry because these this is my flesh and blood, man. My three kids are no longer with me. It tears you apart, but you still got to get on a pulpit and say, God bless you, brothers. Hallelujah. You preach your message and then you got to hear someone's problem that they just lost their dog you know what i mean and you gotta sit there i can't pay my bills and yeah. i'm looking at them yeah. do you know what i'm going through but don't we serve the same god let me ask you a question yeah. because that's that's what i think people don't understand like it's not the fact that you were going through that and then you had to give a smile because you can give the smile because that's your job or because you know how to treat people but when people were looking at you and if you were vocal about it of what you were going through I or sure not. was. So if you were vocal about it, then most people from the church, what, what they say is, oh, but your first ministry is your house. And if your house is not in order, then you cannot minister. Correct. And then if you don't do this, then you mm -hmm. can't do this. And, that, right. and that's what the church says. Right. But what the Bible says is totally different. Yeah. So when you were going through that, what were the, what did the body of Christ give you as as judgment mm. or getting you out of your position that god has given you because of what you were going through so i want to give you two extremes the first extreme which is my favorite there was a young man that wanted to commit suicide and this was in the streets in winwood that's the first extreme he said i was going to commit suicide but i watched you bro I watched you. I seen how you, you were going through your divorce. I seen how your house was on foreclosure. I seen how you lost your job. And every Thursday, I would see you come out and preach the message of Jesus Christ. I didn't commit suicide because I knew God was real through your life. The second extreme, Mike, is this. I was, I was in this church, and it was called Rey Jesus. And they were my covering at the time. Right. When you when you say covering, what do you mean by that? Covering is that they were basically backing me up as a ministry because I had their ministry name and they were supposed to back me up financially and send people. But okay. Um, anyway, so the long story short, man, is this, bro. And it's it's insane. It's crazy. My ex-wife wasn't living for God because She just didn't want a relationship at the time. I mean, she, is that what you really felt? You felt like she just didn't want to have a relationship? Like, like, what was her excuse to be like, I don't want to be a part of the ministry. I don't want to do anything with God anymore. Where was, where was her mindset? So at? basically what I was told from the leaders, and it was true, uh, she was going to clubs with other ministry women. So this is a double life. Double life. Okay. So they came and they said, we can no longer be your covering. In other words, they literally ripped the rug from under me. So you see the two extreme, the religious extreme and those that are seeking for a personal relationship with Christ. That's my experience through my hurts and through my pain. Hmm. So, well, in my case, I, I haven't been ministering or I don't have a ministry. I am not part of a church or anything like that, but I have worked with God And whenever God has said, talk to this person and then love this person and then do this food ministry and then give, I've done it. So you've been in ministry. But it's never been through a church. Right. Okay? That's what I mean by that. And then in those terms, 
the situation that I'm going through for me was what I was trying to say before. How come this is happening if I am a man of God? Right. Like, like people of God don't go through this stuff. And then this stuff is not just the divorce and, 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 and what's happening right now. I think it's been about two years, two and a half years, uh, the, the whole process to get to this point. And then in those two years, I remember that I was just trying to work and try to keep that heaviness, that load that I was talking about, I was trying to keep that up. And I was trying to keep going up and up and up and up, but it was heavy and it was tiring and I was broken and I was cracked. And every time that I would say it, it's like, yeah, you know, suck it up because we have three kids and we got to have a house mm -hmm. and we got to have two cars and we got to have to have a, a pool and we have to. And no, we don't have to. No, we don't have to. How about if... Is it safe to say you guys weren't equally yoked? It's black and white. Just I, I don't know. I don't know. And that's my confusion. Because, for example... Because God hates divorce. Yeah. And your wife just served you with divorce papers. Yeah. I, I see things black and white. I'm sorry. I don't Me see too. gray. Me so too. Me is too, it but possible that the fear of God is not there? I don't know. Because, right. because defining... If somebody has a relationship with God or not, it's very difficult. I, I, I disagree. Okay. Because when you're born again, you renew your mind through the word of God, and mm. now you become a new creation. So, it sounds good what you said. So let me ask you and a question. And the average Christian say that, and this is the battle in my heart. You ask a person, is that person saved? Um, well, he goes to church. He, he does this. He, man, I don't care what he does. Is he born again? It should be yes or no. So if... Does does is a person that is not born again able to speak in tongues? Is a person that is not born again able to speak in tongues? A hundred percent, yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's in the Bible. So I have no idea because mm. she had encounters with God, where okay. I saw it. Yeah. I saw her receiving the gift of tongues. I saw her receiving deliverance. I saw her receiving a bunch of. Uh, he Lord, leaned, Lord, I, I, have I, I not cast I, out demons in your name? Yeah. yeah. Lord, mm -hmm. Lord, have I not done this? That yeah. depart from me, the you workers of iniquity. Yep. Listen, Satan yep. mocks everything that God does. I'm just being straight up as your That's wife. Okay. But That's we're, okay. we're, we're just talking straight That's up. That's okay. You know, I don't. I, so I don't I'm not I, saying she's not saved, but I'm asking. I see that the, the friction here That's, is that That's not equally yoked because I'm hearing car, pool, house, but I'm not hearing the heart. Ministry, Let, babe. Let's let's do this together. Well, but you know that's why that's why I was trying to explain the situation because when you skip back and forth like that, it's just really hard to explain the situation. Yeah. So, so for me, I cannot say, "Oh, she's not saved." Oh, she. I don't know. Well, I really don't know, and that's well, my confusion. Here's my perspective because I got my wife. You know, actually, you know, communicates with your wife as much as they they can. You know, at least once a week or every. Two weeks. So always perspective. She was like, she was church hurt. Oh, okay. Um, especially with, um, you know, uh, Danny and Sandra. It seems like it was a very a church hurt situation. Now that's not an, a valid excuse to kind of, kind of do whatever you want. But I, I think a lot of that um, stems from just being hurt, you know, being hurt by the church and, and when they were needed the most, and I guess in your situation between, you know, you guys um, were supposed to have a council um, session with them. And, uh, you know, they just kind of blew you guys off, blew you guys off. And and that like, was like, 
what do you mean? I was serving, I was serving under you guys for, for two years. And then all of a sudden now we need you guys. And it's like, you're not there. And that was kind of like what I was getting relayed to me through, through Pam. Okay. So that's okay. That's okay. But yeah, if, if church hurts you, where is God in it? Because I remember we were in ministry and Sergio had to leave to another country. So when he was leaving to Canada, I did, you know, I didn't say, oh, if Sergio leaves, then I'm not going to look for God. I'm like, I don't care, dude. Like you leave whatever you want. I'm going to keep looking for him. So that was me. That was me. So if she's hurt and she blames the church for whatever problems, that's her. You know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. for me, my relationship with God does not depend on church or service or a person. It doesn't. And I, I didn't get to this concept overnight i had to walk with god and by walking with god it was him and i going like this Mm. so there's people that say okay yeah i have my relationship with god but they don't obey him they don't do what he says they don't they don't read the bible and they actually do it they don't they don't tell others about it they don't tell their testimony they don't say, hey, you know what? I have a relationship with God and this is what God did in my life and he can do it in yours as well. They don't say that stuff. They keep it quiet. Why? Because if God blesses them, everything is cool. But when God doesn't bless you, when right. he doesn't bless you, right? like like I am right now, that's when you really- The, the that's Job, when, Job experience. That, that's mm-hmm. when you're really put to the test. Yes. So yeah. for example, I said it before. I'm from Medellin and I'm from all that drug infested, stuff that you see on TV. So whenever you were close with people in the streets, you had to prove yourself yep. to them. Come on. And then at one point in this relationship with God, you mm-hmm. have to prove yourself to him. And then this test and this situations come so you can actually say, man, am I for real? <laughs> or, or whenever things don't work my way, I'm just like, peace and see you later. Right. Because that's the deal. So, in the situation where I was, I'm I'm escalating, I'm going up on a on a on a on this trajectory, and all of a sudden I just fall down on my face. So I lose my job, and then the economical situation starts being very, very heavy, problems start to increase. And then when you have pressure, when you have pressure from life, whatever's in your hearts will comes out. From the oh, abundance yes. of the heart, yeah, the mouth well. speaks. <laughs> so when the pressure like really squeezes, mm. yeah. Then out of your heart comes whatever's inside. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And and I remember the pressure was squeezing in, and uh, we didn't have we didn't have money to pay you know the rent and all these different things. I remember just praying, and and I was at the time I already exceeded my credit cards. I had I've been asking for money to people. I've been asking to everybody for money and um, nobody you know everybody has given me whatever they have they don't have any more money to give me and pretty much i said god what do i do like what do i do i was just trying to hold on or 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 keep carrying this heavy load that i couldn't carry anymore and i remember god very clearly said let it all go down and i said i can't i can't because as soon as he said that, what came to my mind was, oh, we're going to sleep, you know, under the bridge because, you know, I don't have any money. I don't yeah. have anything to produce. Yeah. So 
I've been working for 20 years as a fitness instructor for myself. I've never worked for anybody. Then I worked five years for this company and then I'm out of a job. So I'm in that situation and I'm like, what do I do? I run to get whatever job I could and I end up selling insurance. First time in 23 years that I have a nine to five. And I'm making like 2,200 bucks and my expenses are like five grand. So I'm working nine hours a day and I don't even make half of the money that I need to make. You're a very quiet person. Yeah. And I want people to go behind the veil and, and just hear that relationship with your dad and anything else that you so, want to share. So, you know, earliest memories of my father, um, he, um, hard worker, um, he was a roofer. Um, so those that kind of know roofing, uh, roofers in their mentalities are drug addicts and alcoholics. And so that's kind of the, the personality of who he was. Um, so that's why when they fix the roof, it starts leaking almost right away. (laughs) (laughs) He, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, unfortunately it's a South Florida persona of a roofer. It's just, wow. He was the typical, you know, he definitely lived American, right? American. Um, so it's weird. On my father's sides, we're all kind of mutts. We don't really know okay. what it's at. I, I, I kind of wish I knew more family history, but everyone kind of died off early. Okay. Um, so I really don't know much, but because um, he was very dark, almost like Mexican skin, like really, really dark. I, did you know that? Really dark. Really Get dark out skin. of here. Yeah, really dark skin. So Wow. The, the rumor is uh, Native American, but we've never traced it. We did the blood thing and, and like okay. we're like only 2% Native. But the crazy <laughs> part about it we found was actually 10% Hispanic, which is like... You keep left, saying we. Left field. You have siblings? So my sister. Yeah, my okay. sister did the blood test. Older sister, yeah, younger? Older sister, older. older sister did the blood test, four years older than me. Um, so long story short, my father um, you know, was that that character, but he was definitely addicted to alcohol and drugs. Um, what drugs? Uh, cocaine, you know? cocaine. Cocaine from what I understanding. <sighs> the rich man drug. <laughs> and that's... Kind of the mystery of my mother too. She'll never reveal stuff until like I have to physically ask her. My mom did the same thing. And then, well, and I, then, I, you know, like today I understand why <laughs> wow. because you know it's painful, man. It's yeah. so it's, it's yeah, so it painful. Is. That's key. I like that. For it example, is. you know, the yeah. whole thing with what I'm going through right now is so painful. Yeah, how you're yeah. supposed that to tell I, it to the kids. It's yeah. so painful, like you know, to see the kids and to yeah. not see me as their father anymore, not yeah. see me part of their lives, not yes. seeing me in the house. It's so painful that I have to separate myself from yes. them. So I guess wow. that your mom, whenever you ask her, yeah. you you bring her to that those memories, it to triggers. those things, and then you just yes. have to like. Very it good. does, but I, I, you know, I've I lived in resentment for for a long time. Yeah, they were not telling me anything. Like you know, like fill me in, or later on in life when I matured, like hey, can we sit yeah. down and have a conversation? Same it was thing never, with my, it was my mom. Never that way. My father committed suicide, and my mom. Tells me nothing about my father. Right. I get it. It's but the same thing. I, I'm gonna connect it with the pain. So yeah, my you know, my father um used to beat my mother a lot. Mm. Um I remember um I, I never physically witnessed it, but my sister witnessed it a lot. Mm. Um she kind of got the brunt of it because how old were you, more or less? Um I was, you know, my my first like, you know, memories back was probably five, six years old. I remember okay. I remember in the middle of the night just going to my grandma's house and sleeping in my grandma's house. It was just like, wow. you know, I didn't, I, I remember yelling and screaming, but I, I didn't physically witness anything. My sister physically witnessed stuff. How, so how, how much older is she? She's four years older. Okay. So and she then was your, gran- your grandma lived nearby? She did live nearby. Yep. Okay. Uh, actually in this 
neighborhood that we're in now. So okay. she, um, we'd all go there and it, to me, it was like, Oh, we're just going to grandma's. Okay, cool. Oh, we're sleeping over tonight. Okay, cool. You know, like I was completely ignorant to the fact of, you know, who he was, even though I saw him being very aggressive at times. Well, he, um, was he aggressive with you? Uh, never. No. Oh, wow. So I was always treated as like, you know, never can do wrong, you know, because he, he was definitely favoritism between him, me and my sister. He was definitely favoring me because he oh. would bring me fishing every weekend. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was kind of the one thing that I did get from my father. But otherwise, um, you know, not much of a father role. Um, and when I was, I would say was a 10 years old, he um, he got diagnosed with, you know, liver uh, cirrhosis of the liver. So, you know, that's from the drinking. Yeah, that's from drinking, over drinking. So he I remember my last memories was him in the hospital bed, swollen. His stomach was swollen um, like a balloon. And um, he was. Uh, yeah, this did this, this liver was failing. And um, from the time he was diagnosed. Huh? From, um, again, that I was 10, 10 so years I, old. Yeah. Again, okay. this isn't like another story I have to tell my mom and shake it out of her, <laughs> you know, like we were talking a little bit yeah. of Thanksgiving last night. Okay. Um, you know, basically she was, she was kind of giving me the, Oh, I remember when you're, you know, when you're, um, it was related to my, my cousin we prayed for earlier. So she related that story. I remember when your father was on the hospital bed and they unplugged him and within two hours he was dead. So because oh, wow. they were ready, your grandfather, uh, my, my father, oh, your father, my father. So my father so, was diagnosed with that, with that source of the liver. I don't know the time frame. You don't know the time, but frame. Okay. you know, it got to the point where he was in a hospital bed and I remember him last memories. He, they strapped him in so he couldn't, he couldn't move and him just going, being like aggressive, aggressive, trying to get out get out. He just wanted to get out. And, um, I remember, yeah, two days later, um, yeah, he ended up dying cause they unplugged him. They were going to take him to a nursing home and, uh, that was it. Remember what you felt at that moment? I was, um, I, it, I guess it was a turning point emotionally for me, maybe, um, <coughs> to where I had no feeling. It was just like, uh, he died. Okay. I didn't do it. You know, he did it to himself. Right. And that was my perspective as, as a 10 year old, you okay. know, child of, okay, well, he did it to himself. Did you know at 10 that he was beating your mom? Um, no, I didn't. Okay, so you but found I, out. But after? I knew the aggression was there. I, okay. I knew him being aggressive and cussing her out, and all that was in, done in front of me. You know, um, okay. I remember breaking the glass table. Um, I remember, um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the physical stuff. I don't remember him physically doing it to my mom, but you know, from from conversations with my sister, yeah, I mean, it definitely happened. When did your sister tell you, and how old were you that you understood that he was hurting your mom? Uh, yeah, I would say probably in my twenties. Um, how did you again, feel? How did you feel? Um, like if you can I, again, go back, the, the feeling, yeah, the yeah. feeling wasn't anything because okay. I, it was, I didn't have, I didn't have the father experience. Okay, you know, okay. I, I think we all kind of shared that in the yes. room. <laughs> yes, I, it, and related to my kids now, I've caught myself not knowing how to be a father. Oh, because it's okay. like, how do you, how do you plug in? Yeah. So I'm, I'm having to physically mm. plug myself into being that father because I didn't have that father experience. Well, that's that's part of what my what my wife would say, you know, like that I was very detached from the kids. And, OK. And that I was uh, that I was not like in it. But. The thing is that I I did have my father until I was like 12 and my dad was great. Yeah. You know, I don't have any 
um, complaints about my dad being a dad. You know, he was there. Yeah. But I come from a from a from a place where, you know, if you if you did something wrong, they will spank you. Of course. You know, and it yeah. wasn't like, oh, we, you know, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna make you bleed or no. It was you know yeah. you you'll get a spank. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, here. If you spank somebody, it's like going to jail. Oh my well, God! You yeah, know? and with that topic, my father was yeah. afraid to spank me. Really? My mom, <laughs> my mother did all the discipline. <clears throat> wow! Because he felt like he was going to lose it. Huh? Yeah. So he had no self control. He has no self control, obviously. <sighs> so the self, the, he had enough awareness to be yeah. like, "I'm not going to do it." Okay. Um. So you know, fatherly role, yeah, zero. Fishing was literally, you know, the weekend. It was like that's was my, you know. Your outlet, to, outlet to go your outlet spend, spend time with him, but yeah. to spend time was he was drunk with all his friends, and we it would never be me and him. It would be me and four of his buddies. Oh gosh, so it wasn't really, and, and you know it, it'd be like you uh, know like in other words, example. I remember you were just tagging along. Yeah, I was just tagging uh, along. I was yeah. the tag along. Okay, it wasn't let's let's go together. Let's do this together. Hey, we're gonna go do this. Yeah, the example like he would bring the cooler, and he wouldn't pack any Capri Suns or nothing for me. It would be beer. Wow. And I literally had to take ice and to suck on the ice because he didn't bring water for me. He didn't bring food for wow, me. Wow. It was just sandwich. like, you know. <laughs> Clueless. It, it, right. And I had, wow. and it was not like, okay, he taught me fishing. No, my mom taught me. Yeah. My mom taught me how to rig the hook and, and tie it and put the bait on. And then I had to just figure out watching them going, oh, they're doing this. Okay. Like there wasn't any, hey, let me show you how to do this. Let me, let me string yeah, the pull up for the you. That's the father time, you uh, know. Zero. Now, what about your grandfather? Do you have any memories on him? Yeah, um, yeah, I I guess not much. Um, I mean, he died. He died in 2014, 13. I'm really bad. With Was these. he like? Did he play the father of a role or grandfather? the role of a father? Yeah. So let me back up. So my father's father wasn't there. He died in the 50s. Oh, okay. So backstory okay. on that too is a little crazy was um he he um yeah he ended up dying when my father was two or three years old okay so he oh. didn't have a father okay uh you see a pattern huh? he course. didn't have the father so he come to find out he um i did i did the ancestry.com because because i didn't like i don't know my family history i don't know where, you know who we are where we come from i'm trying to figure out some stuff in my background so i looked it up and he did two serve uh, to serve two prison sentences in San Quentin, in California, which is like you know the biggest you know known prisons, most yeah. violent prisons on earth. Yeah, and he serves two sentences for um you know for for robbing people and stuff like that. So the funny part is I I I found the mugshots. So I had the mugshot like it was like a typical 1920 looking mugshot. Wow, with the slick hair and all this, you know, like. Looking like someone in the twenties, and and I brought it to my family. They didn't even know. No one even knew. Wow, because he kept it our secret. And um, he wasn't but, a, he wasn't a Nazi or anything, huh? Uh, I, maybe my <laughs> father was. Like, yeah, that was another thing. So your too. father was a Nazi. My father was a Nazi to look like a Mexican. What? He had he had a swastika what? tattooed here. Get out of here! When my mother and my father got married, this is getting interesting. Sorry. <laughs> When my mother and my father got married, they got married. Their their wedding vehicle what? was all swastikas on it. What? The whole thing had decorated in swastikas. You know, had beer cans traveling on the back. You know, that like typical cartoon. You yeah. Know? But except for the swastikas. But that doesn't sound crazy. I have to pictures. You. I got pictures of all that. It's crazy. Man. Um. 
So I would say, you know, I that's one thing I remember him, you know, being very racist. And um, the funny part is when like the first kid in my neighborhood ever made friends with was a black kid. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's so ironic, but then I, though. But that's what I gravitated to to you know the black culture a lot. So yeah. I grew up in that, and you know, it's like it was funny how he was so like he anti. Was, yeah, he was a Nazi. <laughs> I mean. That's who he was, but, um, but you know, again, it, it's all generational to generational, and uh, you know, fortunately, um, you know, God brought me out of you know that curse and yes. the awakening to to realize like how not to be by like my grandfather, <laughs> yeah. be like my father, and I, like I said, I, I, it's so special that when I have these moments with my kids now, yes. You know, to teach them how to, to tie a hook or teach them, you know, the simple things. And I go, it always brings me back and be like, talking to my father in my head, you're such an idiot. Hmm. You missed this. Yes. You know, you missed these moments yes. because you're selfish. Hmm. It, it, it's weird. Like, I there's no unforgiveness. Like, I don't have unforgiveness for him, but yeah. it, it still brings you back to the moment of... Yeah. <sighs> You could have, you could have had all this. Well, for, <laughs> like, for example, my relationship, ah! with, my relationship with God was really weird because my relationship with my dad was really weird after he left. And mm. then when he left, pretty much what I, what I said in my head was, but why, why isn't he part of my life? Like, why isn't he more often looking to be with me or, or, you know, why isn't he looking forward to be with me and spend more time? And, and I didn't understand any of that stuff, yeah. but I understand it today mm -hmm. because it's not the same as when you have two homes and you have to work to support two places than one. Yeah. When you're supporting one place, everything is common. Everything is, you know, the strength of two people go to one objective and when you have to spread that out you have to spread the money you have to spread the time you have to spread the effort you have so in that spreading of energy you lose a lot of focus mm -hmm. and then every time that he wanted to be with me i noticed that he was kind of like oh let's be for a little bit but that's it in distance and i yeah. never understood that until what i'm going through now yes because I understand the pain that he was going through. Like today, I feel that. I feel that. You know, I, I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my family. But it's so extremely painful. So when I'm there, I'm happy to see them. I'm happy to be with them. But there's this moment where, where, where your brain kind of goes to, hey, this is not the norm anymore. And at that moment, so you don't want to, so you don't want to attach yourself too much to the no, moment. No, no. Is that what you're trying it to say? It just triggers, like you're, 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 you're present, mm -hmm. you're conscious, yeah. But all of a sudden, your heart starts going, "Hey, wait a second! Like this was twenty four seven, and now it's like two yeah. hours every two weeks. Like, and then you start seeing that reality, and just like, it's so hard. Now looking back, and in, in, in this podcast that we're having i noticed that the enemy wanted to take me out since day one now i can see it i was born and when i was two years old my father left 
I don't, I've never heard his voice. I, I just have faint memory of me falling off a bed when I was two years old and he was laughing and he brought a lobster one time to the house. And I, I faintly remember at two years old, but I never got to hear my father's voice. I, I, I never got to meet him. Fast forward now, I believe I was 16 years old. I, I can't remember right now. 16 years old. He calls my mom and he says, I want to meet my son. I was excited because I wanted to know, you know, things that I feel, how can I relate it to my father? You know, what is it that he did, you know, that he deal with that arthritis, diabetes, just stuff, you know, hair loss, obviously, all these things. I just wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so excited to meet my dad. That was on a Monday that he called. On Wednesday, my stepfather kissed me in the forehead. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> Why is this man kissing me in the forehead? He's never showed me any intimacy like that. <clears throat> and he says, your father died. And I said, what? He said he committed suicide. And now <laughs> I'm 16. I guess I'm ready to hear it. He said he, he held a, a gun to his head. It was a 38th. Um, revolver. He put it to his head. He sat on a table. He opened it up and he looked at the different parts of the brain and he blew his head off. And they found them dead a couple of days later because they found smells in the house and his shoe was filled with blood. And I'm like, whoa. So that was heartbreaking that I faked it. I was like, whatever, man. But deep inside, I was hurt. I didn't show it. Going back at age 13, I remember getting a plate of spaghetti and hitting my brother in the face. And my brother chases me around the, the house and, and my grandfather starts feeling chest pains. So my grandfather goes to the hospital, but before he leaves, he turns around and he goes, Cuida tu mamá, cuida tu abuela. In other words, uh, what he said was, take care of your mom, take care of your grandmother. Now I'm 13 years old. I'm like, that's weird. Why are you telling me, a child, to take care of... Anyways, you'll be back. Well, no, he didn't. He died in the hospital a few days later. But my mom looked me in the eyes and she said, your grandfather died because of you. Now, at 13 years old, that destroyed me. That was 13. My father uh, committed suicide at 16. Now, fast forwarding at age 20, in an act of self-defense, I end up taking someone's life. Now. Again, hearing you guys' stories, I'm like, man, why would God allow me to go through so many extremes in my life? I mean, I hated God. I hated everything to do with God. I just didn't want to hear anything with God. I said, God, if you exist, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you allow this to happen to my father? Why did you allow this to happen to my grandfather? Now I take someone's life. Another thing I don't mention much was there was this man that tried to molest me. I, so I lived in Wynwood, and in the front of my house, there was a store. And I would always go and get, bring my mom cigarettes or whatever, whatever she needed. And I would go to the store. I remember this man told me one day, and I'll never forget his voice because it was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, very raspy. He go, come here, come here in Spanish. And he goes, I want to give you this radio. And I'm like, wow, I like that radio. Forgot how old I was, really young. And he goes, I'll give you the radio, but you have to allow me to molest you. And as a child, I knew it was wrong. Mm. And I looked at him. I got angry. And I said, I'm going to kill this man one day. It's funny, but I was so young. And I said, I'm going to kill this man one day. 
You know when I saw this man again? Mm. When I gave my life to Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I gave my life to Jesus. I heard his voice again and I was like, <gasps> and I, I, I wanted to kill oh, him for man. so many years mm. But I already had given my life to Christ. God just, it's its amazing. There was another time I almost got molested. And this was in the park, Clemente Park, across the street from my house. And I remember one of the kids came to me and said, hey, listen, um, there's this guy that kicks really high and does karate. So I remember going in to the park and the guy goes, come here, come here. Um, he started closing all the windows in the park. And all the kids ran off. He left me alone and I ran to the door and he kicked the door and hit me on the side and he grabbed me and he told the other guy, like, it's on. I knew as a child that he was going to molest me. He was going to rape me. And I believe it was Iran or Cujo. I forgot which one it was. And uh, he ran in and he said, hey, your mom. When the guy looked, I ran off. Mm. So those two experiences there were um, very traumatic that when I were, I, whenever I would see a homosexual, I would beat the life out of them. Let me ask you yeah. something in regard to those traumas and all that stuff. Yeah. How did God deal uh, with you in regard to those things? Because the, the question goes to yeah. whenever we have trauma, we don't know how to deal with it psychologically. Right. Um, so, you know, psychologically, you go to a shrink, you go to yeah. a psychologist, whatever. But those reper those things reper have repercussions in our soul, in our yes. spirit. So we can deal with the physical part. You know, if you were raped or if you had an accident or something like that, you go and you recover physically. Yes. You can go to a shrink and then you recover, you know, um, in your psychology. Yes. But spiritually, spiritually, we never address it. Right. And God calls us to deal with those things in yeah. certain ways. So, you know, how did how did that happen with you? So fast forwarding, I got saved night, uh, July of 1997. I was still dealing with PTSD because I took someone's life. And I kept going back to that moment over and over. And I kept hearing mm -hmm. the gunshots and, and, and remembering how I shot him three times in the heart, one time in the spleen. I couldn't control my mind. It kept taking me back there over and over again. And not just that, all my traumatic moments. So I gave my life to Jesus and I wasn't set free. And I'm like, now I'm understanding the scriptures. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Why am I not free? Why do I still have PTSD? I was sharing my testimonies. I'll go to different churches, but I feel shaky inside. I feel like I'm going to throw up and, and it'll go back to those moments over and over again. And it wasn't until, to answer your question, eight months into my walk, I recognized that the eyes are the lamp of the body. Faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of God. So there were still things that I was watching in television that was still causing trauma in my life. I was still living a life that wasn't pleasing unto God. So when I made Jesus Lord of my life, one day I was sitting in Bible study and there was a girl by the name of Celeste. And I was sitting there and the pastor was teaching and I saw her and it was like, you're so beautiful. And everyone knew my testimony because I was, you know, testifying in church. And, and they were like, look at this pervert. <laughs> and the girl looked at me and I go, you're so beautiful. Literally, 
it felt like scales came off of my eyes. The PTSD was gone. I can see a woman for her beauty. I was so perverted in the world. I made a pact with Satan. I said, Satan, you give me woman, women, you give me money, and I will serve you. So yeah, that's exactly what he did. I had three girlfriends. They all three knew each other. I would sleep around very promiscuous, even though three wasn't enough. You see, sin cannot be quenched, Alvaro. It cannot. Sin is designed not to be quenched so you can desire more and more and more. And it wasn't until I understood repentance, turning from my sins, turning to God, making Jesus Lord of my life. That's where I felt the freedom. And that's where the PTSD went away. That's where the perversion went away. And that is when God delivered me once and for all. I never backslid one time. And do you remember any any episodes of deliverance? Because I hear, yes. you know, in Christian uh, environments, oh, you need deliverance. And you never know what that is. Yeah. So when you have all these traumas and you say, oh, I was delivered, was that you know, through, throughout time, uh, did you, did you realize that you were being delivered or you don't, or all of a sudden you just think back, you know, and then you go, Oh, I don't do this anymore. And I didn't even realize it. How did it happen? So Jesus set me free because this is what I said in my ignorance. I was so in bondage. Literally my hands felt tied. I felt like I had to be promiscuous. I had a murdering spirit, man. You would get me mad, and it was like all I wanted to do was kill you for the most simplest things. I put guns in people's head. I've made them kneel down. Uh, you saw me in the world, and I was Satan because of everything that I had inside. At that moment, the, mo the stronghold that I had was the PTSD going back into that traumatic moment. The second stronghold was women. When I gave my life to Christ, I would walk with my head down because I couldn't look up. I couldn't see a woman for her beauty. I had to see her as a sex object. Well, I remember I remember that as well, you know. So this is what I want to tell you to answer your question. So what happened was now that I he set me free from that stronghold, I started understanding the spiritual realm. I didn't know as a Christian I can leave a door open. I really didn't know that. I I didn't know that that The, the one that created the heavens and the earth now lives inside of me, but I can be influenced. So I had to understand that there was perverse spirits. There were whoring spirits. There's the spirit of divination. There's the familiar spirit. There's the uh, uh, there's all of these strongholds that I can give it legal authority, being a Christian, that I can give it legal authority to influence and overpower areas of my life. When I recognized that, Alvaro, this is what I started doing. So let me let me stop you right there because you said something that is very important yeah. to me. Yes, yes. You said that when you gave your life to Christ, yes. you started experiencing all of this stuff. Yes. And then you mentioned all these different spirits. And you said, the spirit of God lives in me. Yes. That's what most people tell you when they're talking about God. Yes. Hey, the spirit lives in me and the spirit can live in you. So when you think of that, you say, oh, if the spirit of God lives in me, then I'm good. I'm good. And then you start realizing, hey, I still have all these issues. Yes. So I'm not so new. Oh, you know, you're new in Christ. No, I'm not. Because yeah. you don't feel like that at all. You don't. But when you start realizing and understanding 
what is the process of living that life and getting into this new one? Because everybody says it and everybody tells you the scriptures, but nobody tells you how. Right. So how did you how did you how did you find out or how did you go through it? The quick answer to that is allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life. And I'm going to explain to you what that yeah, means. Yeah, what does that mean? You see, everyone wants Savior, but they don't want Lord. What I mean by being Lord of your life, the Bible teaches us that our body as Christians, as born-again believers, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to imagine your body being a house. But when you trust in Jesus, you say, Jesus, I want you to stay here in the living room. I don't want you to go to the bathroom because I'm dealing with some stuff there. I got some skeletons. I still like to drink. I still like to smoke. I don't want you to go into my room because in my room, I like porn. And there's things that I enjoy. So what happens is we have this mighty, powerful God that is living inside of us. And he has the power to set you free. But through your free will, you're not allowing him in those areas of your life. So in order for him to be Lord of your life is to allow him to have all of you, not 40%, not 60%, not 80%, not even 90, not even 99. He wants a hundred percent of you. And that's when you walk in total freedom. Well, I learned, I learned something mm -hmm. in regards, uh, the word Lord very recently. We come from a society that is through democracy. But in a kingdom, there's no democracy. In a kingdom, Monarchy. in a kingdom, the king, the king says something and it's law, and everybody mm -hmm. has to obey it. Yeah. So when the king says something, you don't have a vote. Yeah. You don't have a say. Right. Yep. Yeah. What he says goes. And because we don't live in a kingdom, because society doesn't know about kingdoms, we're always fighting what God says. Hey, right. God says X, Y, and Z, but why? But what do you mean? But it feels good. But and you always have some kind of response to it. The word Lord means maximum authority. Yeah. Which is That's it. above him, there's nothing. That's so it. what he says goes. What yeah. he's but you cannot submit to somebody like that unless you know him, unless you're close to him, unless you actually understand who he is. Yes. Mm. And understand that submitted toward submitted through him or to him, you're going to be okay. Because what we think is, hey, kings in the past have been very, yeah. very bad. You know, if you read in the Bible, there's a bunch of kings that used to be like super wicked and super crazy. So you, yeah. your, your vision of a king is always that. Right. But Jesus is a different king because he is good. Right. He is love, but he is a warrior. But yeah, so... I want to finish with this so we can finish this uh, this podcast. But listen, now all of this happened before I came to Christ. Now I came to Christ and I'm like, I'm free. Now I'm married. I have children. God is allowing me to have a ministry. And again, the divorce happened. But in that process, man, I remember God. I was, I was in my bed. I was crying. And I said, God, all I do is serve you. Now my kids are, are not, no longer coming and hugging me. Daddy, daddy, now I got to see them every two weeks. And a lot of things happen. I wrote a book and it's called What Pastors Don't Talk About by Pastor Sergio Iglesias. I didn't write that book for the people to read. I wrote it for my children to read it because a lot of people were trying to kill me. 
I had a contract out of my life. And I remember when God called me back in the, in the neighborhood to preach, it was like, God, what are you doing? You know, they're going to kill me. The long story short, my mom dies of cancer. She died on uh, December 24th. Was it 24th? Yeah. December 24th, 2014. My grandmother dies. My grandfather dies. And I'm like, God, why do I have to live this extreme life? The Bible says he will never put you through something you can't handle. I'm like, God, you must really know that I can handle a lot. So I believe he allowed me to go through this extreme life. And I want to finish with this. He allowed me to go through this extreme life. So now when I walk in to death row, an individual that's about to be put to death, he's just waiting for DeSantis to sign a letter for him to be put to death. I can look at him in the eyes and be like, I know what you're feeling. That's the first thing they try to do. When you get there, they want to make sure you can connect with them. And I, I tell them about the PTSD. I tell them about my lifestyle, how many murders I've seen, you know, growing up. And all of that, just to walk into a prison where a person is waiting to get executed to tell them about Jesus. All things work for the good of those that love him. Alvar, I know what you're going through is hard right now. You probably cannot see and the outcome, and I understand, but there's a promise in the Bible that whatever you're going through right now, God is going to turn it around for good. We believe that God's perfect will is going to be done, but my prayer is that God will restore your marriage so you guys can have a powerful testimony and you, your children, can be united so the people, the cloud of witnesses can see the glory of God. So I want to end with this and tell you that next episode is going to be powerful. We're going to interview a young man. His name is Sean. So this young man, Sean, he witnessed his fiance. Man, he witnessed her on the floor after she shot herself in the head. And it gets crazier. A couple of years later, he tied a noose around his neck. He hung himself his sister came in, I don't know how much time later, and tried to help him to get out. I mean, this is just incredible. This young man has a powerful, powerful, powerful testimony. His name is Sean, and that's going to be our next episode. Testimony.